Welcome to the Election Ride Home for Friday, July 19th, 2019. I'm your host, Chris Higgins. Today, the results of CNN's ridiculous event, The Draw, how to watch the July debates, Ohio moves its primary to St. Patrick's Day, and the big divide on Medicare for All versus a public option. Here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. On Thursday night at 8 p.m. Eastern, CNN aired the most spectacular event we have yet seen in this primary cycle. Called The Draw, the event was CNN's version of what NBC did last month in a small private meeting at 30 Rock. But CNN doesn't do small private meetings. CNN does The Draw. Now, before I can pull back the curtain on The Draw, we do have to review the methodology behind the previous debate selection in that meeting at 30 Rock. That process led to the two-day lineup for the June debates, and a lot of people didn't love that four of the five highest-polling candidates ended up on the same night. Now, back in June, the methodology was simple. NBC had two boxes. In one box were pieces of paper with the names of candidates polling at 2% and below, according to an average of DNC-approved polls. In the other box were all the candidates polling above 2%. The names were drawn from the boxes and placed on boards labeled purple and orange. The purple and orange teams were then assigned to specific nights of the debate by NBC executives in a closed-door meeting. The DNC didn't love that part, but apparently NBC did what it wanted. Okay, so enter the draw. CNN does not mess around. CNN draws. The methodology behind the draw has more boxes. Actually, way, way more boxes. And way more draws, in fact. To start with, the draw, as an event, is actually not just one draw, but three separate double draws executed a total of 20 times. Yeah, I'll get to that. The draw was actually an episode of Anderson Cooper 360, though a CNN countdown clock promoted it all day. It included a panel of eight analysts, Cooper included, who were constantly commenting on the events of the evening and even speculating as to what might happen next in matchups that had yet to be drawn. It was very sports drafty. Meanwhile, Wolf Blitzer emceed the whole thing, and three anchors did the actual drawing. Throughout the event, CNN stressed that they were doing this whole thing in order to be transparent, and that the DNC and CNN had mutually agreed upon the rules. Prior to the event, CNN had announced that rather than using two groups, it would have three groups, dubbed the first draw, second draw, and final draw. Why not third draw? I don't know. It's not final enough, I guess. In the first draw box were the names of 10 candidates polling at the lowest levels. More in a moment on specifics there. They were Bennett, Bullock, de Blasio, Delaney, Gabbard, Gillibrand, Hickenlooper, Inslee, Ryan, and Williamson. Then, in the second draw box were a middle tier of six candidates, again according to polling. They were Booker, Buttigieg, Castro, Klobuchar, O'Rourke, and Yang. The final draw included just four candidates. Biden, Harris, Sanders, and Warren. Now, you might ask exactly how the candidates ended up in each box. It's actually super simple. CNN used the eight qualifying polls approved by the DNC between the last debate and the end of qualifying for this one, and they just averaged them together. These polls line up reasonably well with other popular polling averages like the Real Clear Politics average. So, the first draw is anyone under 1% in average polling. That was the 10 people. The second draw is anyone between 1% and 9.9%, that was the group of six, and the final draw is anybody at 10% and up, that was the final four. So here's how it happened. There were three tables set up, each with two giant boxes. One box was labeled presidential candidates and the other debate night. 
One anchor stood at each table. Brianna Keeler performed the first draw by picking one name at a time out of the candidate's box and then drawing another from the night box. CNN switched to an overhead shot during each draw as the names and knights were placed on these weird custom mats made just for that occasion. Incidentally, I need to point out that there were six boxes in the room here. That is way better than the measly two boxes that NBC had. So for those of you on Twitter who requested additional boxes, apparently the draw listened. Okay, here's a clip of Keeler introducing the process and drawing her first two names. During much of this clip, there were a total of three cameras shown in a multi-screen view from overhead. And the clacking sounds you're going to hear are her gathering up the pre-printed plastic placards as she narrates. Okay, listen in. Wolf, we are all set and we're ready to go here. I have a name card here for every candidate in the first draw. So I'm going to take them and mix them up so that we can then draw from the candidate box and match them with the date. So I have all 10 of these names here. I'm gonna give them a good shuffle and because we are being very open about this process, we have multiple camera views, including an overhead camera. We want you to see everything that we are doing. You, the viewer at home, can actually see the inside of this debate night box and this presidential candidate box. We cannot. So breaking my candidate pile into three here, as I put these in the presidential candidate box, I'm gonna give these names, which are name side down, a stir in the box, keeping them flat there. And now the dates. As you can see, we have uh, five for the first night and five for the second night, July 30th and July 31st. We're going to mix these up and put them in the debate night box so that we can match all of our candidates here and let you know which nights these 10 candidates in the first draw are going to be taking the stage. All right, breaking this pile into thirds, putting this in the debate night box here, where I will give it a stir, and we will get going to see when these candidates will be debating. First out of 10 names here is Bill de Blasio, mayor of New York. He ran, he was the campaign manager for Hillary Clinton's successful bid for the Senate in 2000. He'll take the stage on the second night, Wednesday, July 31st. Next, our second name out of 10, Michael Bennett, Colorado's senior senator, former superintendent of Denver Public Schools. He will be on the stage as well the second night, Wednesday, July 3rd. Okay, so then Victor Blackwell did the second draw using the same procedure. Then, after much analysis by the gigantic team of commentators, Anna Cabrera did the final draw. The entire event took an hour. CNN later announced the podium placements, which were again based on putting the highest polling candidates in the middle and then radiating outward in descending order of polling popularity. So look, I know at this point you're probably saying, I understand that the draw has already occurred and there were a lot of boxes and it took even longer than this incredibly long segment. So who's going on each night? Well, wait no further. The draw understands. The draw listens. The draw has delivered these results from its many boxes. Night one, which is Tuesday, July 30th, will feature from left to right, Williamson, Ryan, Klobuchar, Buttigieg, Sanders, Warren, O'Rourke, Hickenlooper, Delaney, and Bullock. And yeah, that means we get to see Sanders versus Warren on night one, and they are right next to each other. 
Okay, night two, which is Wednesday, July 31st, will feature from left to right Bennett, Gillibrand, Castro, Booker, Biden, Harris, Yang, Gabbard, Inslee, and de Blasio. And yes, that means we'll see Biden versus Harris again, although this time they'll be right next to each other with no Sanders in the middle. Now, let us never speak of the draw again. Okay, next up, details on how to watch these second debates. They will happen at the Fox Theater in Detroit and will air live on CNN. They're on July 30th and 31st, and they air starting at 8 p.m. Eastern live. They again run for two hours each night. You can watch on CNN or you can catch it on YouTube, Facebook, or Twitter. The moderators are Dana Bash, Don Lemon, and Jake Tapper. The rules are a little different this time, and CNN seems to have learned some lessons from NBC. Reading here from a CNN summary, quote, Candidates will be given 60 seconds to respond to a moderator-directed question and 30 seconds for responses and rebuttals. In addition, the campaign representatives were told, colored lights will be used to help the candidates manage their remaining response times. 15 seconds equals yellow. 5 seconds equals flashing red. No time remaining equals solid red. A candidate attacked by name by another candidate will be given 30 seconds to respond. There will be no show of hands or one-word down-the-line questions. A candidate who consistently interrupts will have his or her time reduced. Questions posed by the moderators will appear on the bottom of the screen for television viewers. End quote. So there you have it. No shows of hands, and at least in theory, CNN anchors will try to rein the candidates in if they chatter on too long. We'll have to see how that works out in the real world. The Election Ride Home is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Hiring used to be hard. You had to post on a bunch of job sites, read through stacks of resumes, run through a confusing review process. It was not great. Believe me, I was there. But today, hiring can be easy, and you only have to go to one place to get it done. ZipRecruiter.com slash primary. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over a hundred of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one of them and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. And that technology helps you find the right fit. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, Election Ride Home listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com primary. That's ZipRecruiter.com P-R-I-M-A-R-Y. One last time, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash primary. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. The Election Ride Home is sponsored by a great podcast called The Meb Faber Show. The Wall Street Journal named it one of the top five investing podcasts you should not miss. If you're looking to learn from the brightest minds in finance, or you simply want to know more about investing in a casual and fun interview format, it's a must listen. The show is hosted by Meb Faber, CEO of Cambria Investments and an award-winning ETF manager. The goal of his show is to help you grow and preserve your wealth by giving you investing insights and ideas. Check out The Meb Faber Show wherever you enjoy your podcast. That's Meb, M-E-B, Faber, F-A-B-E-R. You don't want to miss it. In 2020, Ohio will hold its primary on March 17th. That happens to be St. Patrick's Day, and it has some Democrats up in arms about the change. This state has been in the works since June when it was placed in a spending bill. Ohio Republicans needed to have the date be after March 15th in order to allow Ohio to award all of its delegates in a winner-take-all style in the Republican primary. 
So they picked the 17th, put that in the bill, the bill passed unanimously, and the rest is history. Except now Democrats are pointing out that on St. Patrick's Day, especially in cities like Cleveland, it's really hard to move around the city and get to certain polling places. Cleveland routinely draws hundreds of thousands to its parade, and they drink. Republicans pointed out, and I think correctly, that Ohio's early voting system allows 28 days of early voting prior to that voting day deadline. Still, Democrats counter that the timing of the primary is a problem because lots of people don't use early voting, plus it's unlikely that there will be a meaningful Republican primary at all this year, so any lack of turnout would hurt Democrats while not affecting Republicans at all. Anyway, part of the Democratic argument is that on St. Patrick's Day, many downtown polling places are closed or otherwise inaccessible due to parade route security. Democrats are currently considering how to handle this, whether to change polling places, which risks confusion, or try to change the date somehow. Republicans note, again, with a totally valid point, that the Ohio primary this year falls on the exact same day as those in Arizona, Florida, and Illinois. And somehow, all those states manage to both drink and vote, so why should Ohio be any different? There is a long-shot proposal on the table to move the primary in Ohio back to March 24th, though that seems extremely unlikely given that the spending bill has already passed, and there is little incentive for Republicans to want to change it. Senate Finance Chair Matt Dolan did the math and noted that if that change happens, it moves the due date for paperwork to be in the primary to Christmas Eve, which presents its own problems, albeit for a much smaller number of people. I'll keep you posted if the Ohio primary moves, but for all of you Ohioans listening, I encourage you to vote early and spend St. Patrick's Day doing something else. And last up today, here's a topic that we'll return to in future weeks, but I want to highlight for you as we head into the weekend. Maybe it's something you can think about as you drift off to sleep counting policies like sheep as they jump over the fence. One of the biggest actual differences on policy in the current field has to do with healthcare. Specifically, you have a small group of candidates who support Medicare for All in the form of a bill introduced by Senator Bernie Sanders. And then you have all the people who really hate that specific bill and see it as a potential election loser for the party. There are also a few candidates kinda sorta in the middle, like Harris, who co-sponsored the Sanders bill and claimed to support it, but has gone back and forth several times. There's a link in the show notes for more on that if you're curious. You can essentially divide the candidates into two camps, the Medicare for All group and the Add a Public Option to Obamacare group. In the first debates, we saw that now-famous show of hands in which moderators asked which candidates supported ending private healthcare insurance as we know it in favor of a government-run healthcare system. Here's who raised their hands. De Blasio, Harris, Sanders, and Warren. Harris almost immediately walked that back, leaving us with three candidates who seem to be truly on board with the Sanders bill, and one who's a question mark. This leaves us with a field where two of the top four candidates support the Medicare for All bill, as written by Sanders. If you're curious about the details of that bill, go check out the episode of this show from April 12th titled All About Medicare for All. The Sanders bill is genuinely complex. As Ezra Klein at Vox pointed out in an article analyzing the bill, focusing on the private insurance thing is not very meaningful unless you examine the rest of the proposal. Check the show notes for finer points there, too, regardless of whether you support Medicare for All. It's a great read. On Wednesday at an AARP forum in Cedar Rapids, Colorado Senator Michael Bennett argued that Medicare for All would lose Democrats the election. Here's a clip of what he said. The issue is not Bernie. 
The issue is Medicare for all. The issue is whether we're going to have a whole bunch of Democrats follow Bernie off the cliff here and lose the election to Donald Trump. That's the issue. And I think that we should not follow Bernie off the cliff. And instead, what we should do is embrace the idea, to, cut to we should unite around the idea that what we want is a public option. And by the way, the last couple of days around here, you've started to see that. You know, Joe Biden uh, proposed something that looks very much like my Medicare X. Um, other candidates, Cory Booker was saying that he supported Medicare for all, but that it was very unlikely that that would ever pass. And instead, what we should pursue is a public option. I think we have the opportunity to play offense on um, health care going into this election. We should not be on defense. And if we nominate somebody whose plan is Bernie's plan, we are going to be on defense. And by the way, I would say all over the country, not just in states like Colorado and Iowa and North Carolina and Arizona, Maine, where we have to be on offense if we're going to win a majority in the Senate, but everywhere. And there's no need for it. What's the purpose of it? What, why, why should we sp I, I heard Bernie said today that everyone hates their, their private insurance in his plan. That's not true. Some people do. I've had private insurance that I hated. I've had private insurance that I've liked. Why don't we leave it up to everybody in America to decide what's best for their family? And if we had a real public option, they could do that. And they could do that at half the price they're paying private insurers today for their premiums. The, the union guys that I met with yesterday all over Iowa don't hate their insurance. They don't want it replaced. And those are Democrats. So if you're thinking about something that will actually unify the country, an agenda that will unify the country and put us in the position of, of, of establishing universal health care in this country, finally, um, why don't we propose, why don't we follow a set of ideas that will do that? By the way, most countries with the best health care outcomes in this country do have a hybrid system of some kind. On the same day, Sanders gave a major speech on Medicare for All at George Washington University. Here's a snippet from that. Now, my Republican friends, and some others, <laughs> seem to think that the American people hate paying taxes, but they just love paying insurance premiums. Oh, my God, dear, the insurance premium is here. What a wonderful day. Oh, wow. Let's celebrate, hey, another 2000 a month for insurance. And small businesses, they just love it every month, paying those insurance premiums. The truth of the matter is that study after study has shown that as a nation, we will save substantial sums of money, and the average middle-class family will save an estimated $3,000 each and every year on their health care bills. In a recent poll of New Hampshire voters, pollsters asked voters which candidate they thought would best handle health care. 34% said Sanders. He's trailed in that poll by Warren, who supports the exact same plan, with just 19%. Then there's Biden, whose plan we discussed on Monday, at 16%. And everybody else is down in the single digits. There's more to explore here, but I wanted to give you a taste of two very different viewpoints that are coexisting in this field today. There are, of course, many issues on which the candidates agree, right down to specific legislation to get stuff done. But healthcare coverage is not one of them. Well, that is it for one more episode of the Election Ride Home. I have been your host, Chris Higgins. You can always find me on Twitter, at Chris Higgins. Our first week with the new name concludes today, and I think it went just fine. 
Also, today is the first time I've recorded an episode in a rental car just outside Boston in a motel parking lot. It's not quite the creature comforts of home, but there is 24-7 tea and coffee, so I've got that going for me. As always, thanks for listening, and I will talk to y'all on Monday. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader, too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.